we're going to jump right into our Christmas series. We're finishing it up today. We've been in John chapter 1, and I know that we've just finished celebrating Christmas. You've survived all the Christmas shopping. You've survived your family in town, right? Did you? I can't tell how everyone's doing. Uh, I had family time. It was great. If you're listening, I love you. Um, I know this, that we're all taking this next week, and we're probably it's a slow week for most of us as we're on vacation or resting or recovering from the year. It's a week that's normally slower for everyone, and we're looking at the scale, trying to plan how many LBs we're going to lose this next year, or at least say we're going to lose for the month of January and then give up in February. Like that, that, That's the time that we're in. And, and as we do that, I, I want us to continue to look at the Word and spend time worshiping Jesus for who He is. And, and this Christmas season, here's what we've been trying to do. Um, we've been trying to really make sure that we move past the nostalgia of Christmas and to worship God for who he really is. Like we, We're used to all the, the good memories and the good feelings of Christmas. There's nostalgia all in it, and that's good. Uh, I'm sure that right now we're making memories with our kids left and right, and I hope that they'll be nostalgic in a good way when they grow up about how our Christmases look. Um, and there's nostalgia that's being built on that. But we don't want to just stop at nostalgia because oftentimes we can confuse nostalgia and worship, and it is not the same. Uh, nostalgia is good, worship is better, and they're different. And if we're not careful, we'll be very nostalgic and think that we worship Jesus and we'll totally miss him. So we've been in John chapter 1 and we've seen this, that Jesus is God. We've seen that he's also life, that he gives us life. We've seen that his life is light to all men. And this week we're wrapping it up. So let me read the verses in John chapter 1. We're going to read John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. So if you can turn in your Bibles there. John chapter 1. Verses 14 to 18. And here's what John says. As he's been describing Jesus, he calls him the Word. And here's what it says in verse 14. I'm going to read all the verses to us. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him. That's John the Baptist. And he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Another brain melter. Not going to get into that right now. Verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me just focus on that last verse that we just read. You see what it said about Jesus there? Right there in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God. uh, The only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus. He has made him known. This is the statement at the end of it. What John says here is that one of the things that Jesus has done is he's given us an accurate picture of who God is. Jesus came not just to save us, but he wanted to make sure we actually knew who God is and what he is like. That's part of Jesus' job is making sure that all of us here have a right and accurate picture of who God is. I mean, this pops up all over the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1, if you can flip there, verse uh, 15 and 19, says this. uh, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. So he's the image, he's the picture of the invisible God. Scroll down to verse 19. It says this, For in him, that's in Jesus, 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So here's what Paul is saying in Colossians. Jesus is here, and he's the image of the invisible God, the God we couldn't see. Jesus made him visible for us, and he's not just a little bit of God. All of God, the fullness of God was in Jesus. Like These are really big things about Jesus, but the point is that Jesus is making God known to us accurately. Hebrews chapter 1 Verses 1 through 3 say this. It says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Long time ago, God spoke to us by prophets. But in these last days, verse 2, he's spoken to us, how? By his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Look at verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the brightness of the shininess of God. Okay, does that make sense? If Speaking in my language, that radiance of the glory doesn't make sense, but the brightness of his shininess of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, listen, I just, I just dumped a lot of things on you that are deep and heavy. Let me boil it all down to you. Here's the point. If you want to know God accurately, the most accurate picture of who God is, is Jesus. All right, that, that, that is hands down the best way for you to get to know who God is. There is no better way than to look at who Jesus is and listen to what Jesus says. That is what God is like. So why do, why do I want to take time to emphasize that for us? Here's why. In our church culture and in culture in large, we don't get our view primarily off of who Jesus is. Can, can I be honest about that? We we find the authority about what God is like in a whole lot of other things. So one of the ways that we do this sometimes, it's really subtle, is we make our own thoughts about God the authority about what he's like. My own imaginations. I, I decide what he's like based on what I like or what I prefer or what I feel comfortable with. It normally sounds like this. Uh, well, I think God is like this. If someone said God's like this, you say, no, 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 well, I think he's like this. The authority of determining what God is like is my own personal thoughts. In the old ancient days, they would make idols of God. They would take a statue or clay or a, a stick or a rock, and they would chisel and say, I think God has a nose like this, or God has a mouth like this, or he has hair like this, or he has a chin like this, or he has arms like this. They would, they would craft it based on what they thought God looked like. Now, we don't chisel wood and stone anymore, but we take our own imaginations and our own preferences, and we shape God to be a product of our own imagination. And what I believe John is saying here is your own imagination doesn't get to shape who God is. He tells you who he is. And it doesn't matter. This is going to sound harsh. It, it doesn't matter if you like it. What matters is that you have the right picture of who he really says he is. Have you felt this tendency in your heart before? That you read something about who God is in the Bible and all of a sudden the thing that happens, you're saying, I, I don't like that, so I just basically change the way it means or I ignore it. We, people do it in church all the time. And here's the point. God is a real person who really is like something. And you, you and mine's imaginations and preferences don't get to shape that. Jesus does. 
So, so when you find yourself shifting to this thing, you, it's very easy for you to sit there and go, I think God is like this. No, who does God say that he is? Here's, here's a second way we get stumbled. Maybe it's not your own imaginations. Maybe, maybe that's what theologians and pastors do. Maybe what happens for you is your view of God is based on what the preacher has told you. That what happens is you hear something about God, and if it doesn't line up with a sermon that you've heard in the past, you reject it. Because the preacher's the authority. Listen, I, I hate to break this. I wish I could tell you this wasn't true, but not all pastors are good and preach true and accurate things about who God is. Not all pastors are trustworthy. They're, they're not. They don't all paint a picture, a perfect picture of who Jesus is. Actually, none of us paint a perfect picture of who Jesus is. We're all weak and frail, and we don't have it all right. That's why the thing for you to do is not to listen to a sermon or an idea about God and compare it to what your pastor has said. You go right to the source. Who does God say that he is? And when you hear things about God, you should be going to the Word and seeing what Jesus says about himself and evaluating that message about God based on what the Word says, not what any of your pastors have ever said. Like, I, I know that's subtle, but there's this danger in society, especially in churches, that our pastors become so, so much the authority, and I, I I don't want to undermine that too much, but they become so much the authority that literally whatever he says, even if it's against the word, we accept that. And that is not how we know God. We know God based on how, who he tells us that he is. And there's, there's other ways we do it, not just our own thoughts, not just what the pastor says or the preacher says, Tradition sometimes. Listen, we love our views of God as long as he doesn't mess with any of our traditions. You, you ever seen this in church? Man, this happens all the time. It's, it normally happens in worship wars. Listen, my view of God is shaped if the music isn't fast enough, if the music isn't contemporary enough, if the music isn't traditional enough, if there's not a choir. Like, I love God as long as he wants a choir. <laughs> I love God as long as there's a full band. <laughs> Like, that's my view of God. If there's not music towards my preference, if there's not my traditions, if my traditions are messed with in any way, shape, or form, that view of God bails. It's, it's, it's this weird thing I think happens in church all the time that we connect our traditions and preferences to who God is. And when we change those traditions or preferences, then it always comes back to you don't understand who God is. Let me give you an example of this. Um, this was a fight that I used to have um, when I was in seminary. When I was in seminary, one of the things that uh, my professors were trying to drill into us, they wanted to drill into us that we had to wear a coat and tie. All right? Uh, um, as you noticed, that didn't, it didn't sink in. Uh, they pushed hard. And, and the harder they pushed, and here was the problem for me. Um, when I would say, hey, well, why do I need to wear a coat and tie? Maybe I was rebellious. I don't know. Maybe I am. But they would say, why? And, and here's what they always connected it to. They always said, listen, if you don't wear a coat and tie, then you're going to paint a low picture of who God is. He's big and he's huge and he's holy. And your jacket paints a picture of his holiness. Um, so then, uh, you think I'm kidding. I mean, that, that's a real conversation. Have any of y'all been in that conversation in church before? And, and then someone shows up at church and he shows up in shorts and flip-flops and a T-shirt. And like, that guy just has a low view of God. See what we've done there? All of a sudden, our preferences on how people are dressed are connected to the right view of who God is. 
Like this happens all the time. Listen, and when you come to God and you look at the Bible and you say, hey, I know God is holy and big and huge, but he also says, I don't need you to clean yourself up to come to me. So yeah, you want to wear a coat and tie, fine, but don't do it because you think it paints a bigger picture of who he is. Wear a coat and tie because you want to wear a coat and tie. Right? And you want to wear jeans and a t-shirt? Fine, but don't do it because you think it paints a more accurate picture of who God is. Just wear the jeans and come and worship Jesus. All right? Like, are we good with that? Like, listen, I've, we've all been in church way too much to play these games that we haven't messed things up and said, God is like this, therefore my preferences must all be, a t- be aligned with that, right? Even to what I wear or the music I listen to. God has not told us how to dress at church. He's told us what type of hearts to have at church. So let's spend less time worrying about our clothes and more time worrying about what he said he is like. All right? Um, I'm getting going now. That, that, those paragraphs weren't even in the sermon. I just uh, should have added that in there. Here's another way that we do it. it. It's not just about our traditions or our thoughts or the authority or what the pastor has said. You know, sometimes where we shift is... Um, culture starts to dictate to us who God is. And you're like, that would never happen in the church. Yes, it would. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, okay, here's the deal. You, bump into, you start bumping into things that God say, and all of a sudden you quickly realize, this doesn't really mesh well with my culture. Like it, it starts to really rub you the wrong way. And I, some of you think you know where I'm going with this. Well, I'm about to throw a curveball at you because you probably think I'm going to all the big ones where churches are compromising and churches are compromising all the time on things like gender and sexuality, but they're also compromising somewhere else. I think the place that the churches are compromising is in the area of politics. That we sit there and we shape our view of God based on our political party. And I... I know I've harped on this so many times, but I'm going to keep hitting it because it's happening in our culture all over the place. We want God to be a part of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. He's not one of those. He is who he says he is. And we cannot allow God to be shaped or his church to be shaped by a political party. We must resist it at all costs and never give it an inch. Never, ever give it an inch. God is who he says he is, and our culture or your political party do not get to shape him ever. Anything that compromises who God is is just flat-out idolatry. And it should get us worked up because we're allowing all these things to twist who God is. Our kids are growing up looking at church and let it, we're letting a false view of him be shaped to our children. And we must say enough, not at this church, not ever. We want to paint an accurate picture of who God is and we will go after every idea that is wrong about who he is. So here's the question. So what picture of God does Jesus paint? 
The, the, the question for us today is not just what false views of God do we have. The question is, what picture does Jesus paint for us? I'm rolling up my sleeves because I'm doing a little post-Christmas workout. All right, y'all like, man, he was worked up before. He's really about to get going. It's not going to be all angry. Y'all chill out a little bit. Um, Listen, what picture does he paint? Let let me show you. Look back at verse 14 of John chapter 1. Says this, and the Word became flesh. The Holy Almighty Creator God, He became flesh. The strong, powerful God that people can't even be around without burning up into flames. This God in the Old Testament that opened up the earth and swallowed people. Y'all remember those stories? Like this God that gave people leprosy. You're like, oh man, He showed up and He's flesh, and and He's supposed to paint a picture of what God is like, and He's literally walking with every single one of us morons for thirty years, and like He's He's walking in it, right? And you need to think about this: this God that's walking around Roman oppression for thirty years of His people. He's literally walking around rottenness in in Judaism and the religious people, this legalism that's twisted everything and piled up burdens on top of everything and twisting who God is. He's walking with all of us for 30 years. He walks in villages and he sees prostitutes and he goes to people who are doing idolatry and he, he walks by people that hate God and want nothing to do with him. And he's walking by these religious, arrogant hypocrites who judge everyone. Man, what's Jesus going to do? It says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father. And he is, look at this, full of grace and truth. I just don't need to think about that for a moment. The, the thing, the picture that Jesus wanted to make sure we saw, he wanted to make sure we had a complete and accurate picture of God, and he is really holy. He's really holy, and he's really big, but the piece we need to get added to it was that he is full of grace and truth. He's full of it. Like, he, he's jam-packed full of grace and truth. Listen, here's why I think that is good news. Like, it's good news that we have both of those together. Because if you've got all this grace but no truth, that's like this mushy, sentimental, like, that's just, it's kind of soft, fluffy mushiness, right? It doesn't actually help me, right? Like, you you ever go to someone and... um, You've got a real problem, and the only answer they have is just kind of a big hug. Like, you're great, and you know you're not great. Like, have you, have you all ever had that moment? No? Like, you have this moment where you're sitting out talking with a friend, and you're saying, let me, let me tell you all the awful things that have been happening with me. I did this, and I thought this, and this is who I was. And they're like, no, 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 you're awesome. Right? Like, no, you are the, you're the best dad ever. I'm like, hey, bro, I just told you how I yelled at my kids for no reason whatsoever, and you're insisting on lying to me right now and telling me I'm killing it as a dad. I just told you I wasn't. Right? Deep down, it may make us feel better, but if it's just grace without truth, it's kind of this mushy trash. We know it's not true. We know it's not all sunshines and rainbows in our heart if we're honest. 
But, but truth without grace, that's just as much of a monster, right? We taste this one at church all the time. Like, we, we taste truth without grace all the time. Like, it, it's that thing where it's this hard-nosed, harsh, it's almost like a dagger in the hand of the person. You ever talk with someone that when they have the Bible, it's, it's more of a weapon to be used? And you, you feel like you got to be on defense. Like, he's stabbing at me. Like, I don't know how to, like, this doesn't feel gracious, right? Like, this, this doesn't feel like good news. <laughs> it feels like he's attacking me. And, and Jesus is the perfect combination of the fullness of grace and truth together. I, 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 I totally love this. Let me talk about the power of these two combined because I think it's really good. The fact that God is full of truth means a couple of things for you. Let me give you three things it means. Number one, if he's full of truth, that means he doesn't change or waver. His truth is not a moving target. He's, he's just steady, right? Even though our culture keeps, truth seems to change on us every couple years. I don't know if you've noticed that. Have you felt the whiplash of that? Right, it just changes so quick. And all of a sudden, truth like, is like redefining everything. And, and here's God. He's just, he's true. And he's steady. And he's unchanging. I, I think that's good news for me. Because here's what that means. Tomorrow, his standard didn't change. I'm not going to wake up in the morning and all the rules of the game have changed for God. Because he's true. And he's steady. And it's unwavering. And he's told me what he thinks and what he wants. So the game doesn't change. That's, that's a relief for me. The other thing is he's honest. It's not just that he doesn't change or waver. He's really honest. He really will tell me what he thinks. Right? It's that moment where you go to him and say, hey, does, does this make me look fat? And he, he tells me. <laughs> too, was that too, too soon? It's, it's New Year's. We all got to lose weight. We're going to get over it. Right? Like, it's that moment where he's going to be really honest. Like, like, have you ever had someone, they'll never tell you the truth. They, they will never tell you. you and be, because of that, you never actually know where you stand with them. Like, they're so nice. They're so nice, but they never actually tell me what they're thinking. So the reality is, I don't know if they think I'm an idiot or if they just, they make it feel like I'm the best thing since sliced bread, but I don't really know because they're never really honest with me. I'm going to tell you, you will never have a deep friendship with that person. You, you won't. It's not that you need to hear all the truth all the time, but you need to understand this. God tells you the truth. Like, he really tells you what he's thinking. So he's steady and unwavering, and he's always honest with us. And the third one is this. He's always right. Like, it's one thing to be honest and be wrong. It's, it's another thing to be steady and unwavering, but be steady and unwavering, but be wrong. But he's steady and unwavering, and he's honest, and he is always right. Every single time, without exception. He's always, you need to think about that. If he is full of truth, that means that he alone is the only one who is always right. There's no wish-washing, there's no waffling when it comes to truth with him. He doesn't change his mind about 
um, what's true and what's not true. He, he doesn't change. He's always honest, and he's always right. No mistakes and no errors in judgment. I, that feels like a relief to me. But when that's combined with the fact that he's not just full of truth, he's full of grace. God is full of grace. I think we would know that he's full of truth if you grew up in the church. You know that. But when I say he's full of truth and full of grace, that adds a different level for it. He's full of, let me change the word grace to you to help you understand it. He's full of kindness. That's what else that word means. Let me give a couple implications for that. Um, that means he gives truth in the right way at the right time. In, in other words, this. Uh, you're not laying on the ground a bloody heaping mess from a mistake that you just made. And he doesn't come up and go, let me be honest with you about three things you shouldn't have done just now. Do you know why? Is that the time that I need to hear that? So when he's full of grace and truth, that means he's full of grace to know what I need to hear and when I need to hear it. I think we need to hear that, church, because I think sometimes um, we mask love in this way. I'm going to give you the full truth all the time, every single. And I think that God is sometimes really, really gentle with us. Let me tell you why I say that. Um, when he describes wisdom in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, look at, he, look at what he says about wisdom. It says, a word fitly spoken, in other words, a word at the right time in the right way is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. It's like this beautiful thing. Like, not all words are created equal and not all are needed all the time. Or it says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. He says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He, he understands our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And look at what it says to us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You go to the throne of grace, he doesn't say, I'm going to give you five truths you need to hear right now. He may tell you to. It doesn't mean that God may not give you truth that feels painful and hard, but it doesn't mean that he's just going to blast you with truth all the time. He's full of grace and truth, which means he says the right thing to us at the right time, right? That, that's good news to me. I don't want, a, I don't want an, an enemy armed with the truth that doesn't have the wisdom or the kindness to know what I need to hear and when I need to hear it, right? There's something else there. It's also, uh, if he's full of grace and truth, that means that he's kind and loving to us despite our failures. He, he is kind and loving and patient with me despite my failures, he doesn't pretend like my failure doesn't exist. He said, I'm just going to ignore that. We're going to brush that under the rug. No, he's saying, okay, fine, failure. But I'm going to be kind and patient and loving. Like, do you see that? That truth with grace, it doesn't minimize my failure, but it doesn't let my failure be the thing that defines me. He lets his love and grace be the thing that defines me despite my failures. That's good news. Because listen, we've all got failures. Every single one of us have failures. We got loads of them. Well, some of us have loads of them. I don't know. Uh, Y'all may not have as many as me. I got loads of failures. And to, to know that he's honest about it and gracious, that's awesome. 
It also means this, that he's not cruel and mean, but he's loving and accepting. So here's what that means. Uh, it's not just that he's patient with my failures. He could use truth if he wasn't gracious. I already mentioned this, to really jab me and dig at me. See, I told you. I told you, Fias. if I said it once, I've said it a hundred times. Don't do that. And, and then here's God saying, okay, Fias. I've told you. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. But he's not being mean and harsh. He's trying to heal me and bring me in. Do, do you guys see the difference there? And, and church, this is who Jesus told us that God is. This is what the gospel is. Let me remind us all of the gospel. Because the gospel really is full of grace and truth. Here's the truth of the gospel. You and I stink so bad. Our hearts are so broken and so deceptive. We are so messed up and so distant from God that we are worthy of judgment and condemnation. But instead of giving us judgment and condemnation, Jesus came to give us love and to die on the cross for all of our brokenness and say, listen, I don't need you to work for it. I don't need you to earn it. I need you to trust me. I need you to lean in. Come here and let me forgive you and clean you. Let me make you a part of my family. Let me, let, me, let me make you whole. Like That's the gospel. The gospel is the truth that I'm broken and need a savior, and it's grace that he lovingly and willingly and joyfully came to die for me so that I could be accepted, so I could be clean, so I can be forgiven. The gospel is full of grace and truth. So here's a few implications for us that I, I want to make sure we get. Here's what I mean. Here's what I think it means for us. I think it means that we should be a people of grace and truth. That, that's, that's how we should interact with each other. That's how we should interact with ourselves. That's how we should interact with our loved ones. That's how we should interact with our unsafe friends and people distanced from us. We should be full of grace and truth. And, and when you are full of grace and truth, that doesn't mean you go, hey, I love you. You're an idiot. Like, it, it's, not, it's not that. It's not just tacking the word I love you onto it and being mean. All right? It's actually saying the truth with real love for someone. Right? Um, like, that means there needs to be love in your heart and in your intention for the person. It means that we freely give love and acceptance and kindness and patience. It means that we don't hide the truth from those around us. Okay, and when you're full of grace and truth, there's something that happens. Look at what it says in verse 16 of John chapter 1. Uh, For from his fullness, from him being full of grace and truth, what comes out? We have all received grace upon grace. So, so here's the deal. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, uh, when you're dealing with Jesus, he's so full of grace and truth that what happens is he's constantly giving all of us grace on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace. And it's like it never runs out. He's constantly giving grace on top of grace. He just is like a faucet that never runs out of water. Like he's given us truth, but he's always giving us grace over and over and over and over and over. He's not giving us more laws and more rules. He's giving us more grace. He's not giving us more things to be rigid about. He's giving us more grace over and over and over and over again. All that he does is give us grace on top of grace. 
That's who Jesus tells us that God is. And so let me tell you some of the ways that he does this. For the hard-hearted religious people who were self-righteous and arrogant, he, he would say things like this. He would say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who were sent to it, sent to it how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But you didn't want to. See what he says there? So you, you're always killing them. I just want you to come to me. But you won't. Do you see the grace and truth in that statement? That's how he talks to the hard-hearted religious. And sometimes it's more pointed than that. But it's always full of love. Or to the broken and rebellious. Or to the outcast. He says things like this, like he says to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. He goes up to Zacchaeus, worst dude in town. He says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus in a tree. Y'all know this song? Caught up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. He, he basically said this, Zacchaeus, you need to come down here because I, really, I got to have dinner with you today. I want to be with you, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus already knew he was a dirt bag. And Jesus said, I want to be with you, Zacchaeus. In verse 10, he says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Or in Luke chapter 15, Jesus says this, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Listen, when someone far from God comes to him, he says, I'm going to party about it. I'm going to celebrate. I want you to be a part of my family, and I'm going to get everyone to party. Like, do you see the grace there? Like over and over and over again, Jesus is full of grace and truth, so he showers us all with grace on top of grace on top of grace. So here's a few ways I want you to respond. I want you to worship him for who he really says he is, full of grace and truth. I want us to be a people that give grace on top of grace to each other. Does that sound rare in today's culture right now? Like we're in a country right now that is so divided. We're just split down the middle. And if the church could just figure out the simple command of, man, if y'all would just be nice to each other and loving and figure out how to speak the truth and give grace. If you would just do that, we would be a bright light in this city. I'm just telling you, if we would be a people who give grace on top of grace on top of grace, we would be a light. And I think the other thing is this. I want you to receive, not just give grace. Will you receive grace on top of grace from him? Like, it's one thing to say, I'm going to be gracious to other people, but I mean, you need to receive that type of grace from him. Stop trying to perform to earn his favor and just receive grace on top of grace. Stop pretending you've got it all together and just receive grace on top of grace. And maybe for you, the way you need to receive grace on top of grace is you just need, for the first time ever, to place your trust in Jesus and ask him to save you. Listen, that's the first step of receiving grace on top of grace. Is saying, I'm done trying, and I need to put my trust in you and what you did on the cross for my sins. Church, I pray that you leave here today seriously in love with God and who he is and believing that he is full of grace and truth. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Listen, I'm, you're sitting in your seat. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to drag this on. We're, we're, we're not going to sing or do anything like that. Um, 
we're just going to take a moment where I want you to ask God what he said to you right there in your seat. You can either worship him or uh, see who God has called you to give grace to, or maybe you just need to receive grace from him. Now's a moment right there in your seat for you to do some business with God. Father, um, God, we confess at times we've let other things shape who you are in our minds. And God, we, we want to know who you are based on who Jesus is. So God, I pray you'd help us to do that, that we'd have a right understanding of who you are. And God, I pray for us as a people. God, would you make us a people that are full of grace and truth? God, would you make us people that receive grace and truth from you over and over and over again? God, I'm praying you would make us those people. God, I pray for anyone here who's struggling with, not re- with receiving grace. I pray we'd be a people that would, would not be harder on ourselves than you are, that we would really believe that you are so full of grace that you're just giving it to us all the time, regardless of how good we pretend to be or how, how good or bad our performance is. God, make us a people that are always honestly receiving grace from you and that we never tire of it. God, I pray you would make us those people. And we praise you for being full of grace and truth, God. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.